Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. The massacre, of course, is that's dominant in the news, in the news of the Jewish world this week. Three American citizens among those who were butchered, who were massacred uh, in the shul in Harnof in Yerushalayim. What did you think of the United States' reaction to the episode? Well, first, as you know, I was in Israel, and I go to the funeral of uh, Rabbi Torsky, uh, although it was very hard to get near the, the huge turnout and masses of people who came and the emotions that uh, were evident there and throughout the city and, in fact, throughout the country, across all sectors. And uh, it's sad that the only time you see this kind of unity is in response to, to the war or to response to this incident. Um, but there was, uh, it was something that struck every person uh, and the brutality, the barbaric nature of it, uh, I think, really shocked some of the people who perhaps um, only now have come to realize the nature of the enemy that Israel faces and how they have turned this into a religious war. The uh, argument that this is, you know, lone wolf uh, operatives something that we hear in the United States also, and then inevitably we find out that there was some connection to an imam, to a recruitment, to, to a training camp, to something. Uh, and here it appears that there is a Hamas cell that was trained to make people look like they were uh, independent operatives. There were three Americans who were slaughtered in this massacre. What do you think of the reaction from Washington? So I'm going to come to that. and uh, uh, But I think that the... the um, well, the reaction of uh, Secretary Kerry was a very strong statement he made in Paris. I think this statement by the president um, uh, was addressed the issue. Um, but there's always the qualifications, and we see it in, in so many ways, about the nature of the incident. We need to see action, and action in this case means holding a boss and the Palestinian Authority to account. It means that there has to be some sort of a consequence when they continue to engage in the incitement, and it has to be addressed. The, the, even the Security Council issued a condemnation, which was a good statement, um, but at the same time, when the European Union and others are issuing statements, they're, they're continuing to recognize the PA and to take measures uh, to, to further enhance them, so they're being rewarded for at the same time that they continue to engage in the kind of outrageous incitement that leads to these incidents. When Senator Schumer was on here this week, it sounded like even even he was not satisfied with the reaction from Washington. It's outrageous that this is going on and that the White House, again, with three of the people being American citizens, do not react more strongly. We said the same thing at the time of the kidnapping when an American citizen uh, was included in those who were kidnapped and then murdered. Uh, it is just, it's outrageous. And uh, the, the, the Kerry statement, 
you know, it, it, it's, it seems to be just words. The President of the United States makes sure to include a balance in every statement he makes. The fact that he even mentions in the statement that too many Palestinians have died is insane. And, a, a, and to recognize the fact, maybe, that now at this point, Malcolm, unless the statistics are off, or unless this viral statistic is, you know, just something that started as a rumor, more American citizens have now been killed in 20, 2014 by Palestinians than by ISIS. Yes, that was that was uh, said this week, and I, I assume somebody, whoever, that somebody did some research in order to uh, to ascertain that that is correct. The um, and the this attempt always to couch it in in even-handed terms and to strike a balance and to talk about you know the responsibility of all part all parties to come you know to 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 respond as if there is equal guilt or equal responsibility across the board which is the point I'm making that the that the failure to address not just now but on an ongoing basis the issue of incitement and that there's only lip service paid to it uh, rather than consequences to it, that the the um, the failure to to uh, demand and to extract a price for for failure to enhance it will only lead to further actions of these kinds and further continuation of the incitement of the issue, the higher bias of the these constant references and and. It was by Abbas himself. He can't say that it's, you know, people under him or things that he's not responsible for, people who doesn't know. And uh, and the president should have should have uh, cited it and, and made the, the specific uh, reference to, to that incitement that inevitably leads to people reacting and, and being, and nothing is more emotional than those cries of al is under attack or you have to cleanse it or you have to, you know um, that the Temple Mount is being defiled. These are really serious things. And the, you know, going back to Oslo, when I remember when Dennis Ross admitted that they failed to give yeah. sufficient consideration to the whole issue of incitement and the the role of the PA in in this. The um, reaction of the president to the very well known. I mean, it's public knowledge across the board that Israel likely will destroy homes of families of terrorists, right? I mean, it's not like they don't have warning on this. This is a pretty well-known fact at this point, going back to the beginning of the state and even earlier than that. And yet the President of the United States expresses disappointment in that action. I think it's outrageous. Wouldn't it have been sufficient to remain completely silent on that and not come out against Israel's uh, proper punishment and reaction to this terrorist attack? There is a lot of misunderstanding, I think, about it. I've had people, even people from the community, call me and say, this is, you know, why is Israel doing it? Why is Israel attacking? So, first of all, Israel has very limited options to what to do, because no matter what action it takes in response, even to this so barbaric attack, uh, and, and people don't understand the culture that we're dealing with. If you put these guys in prison, if you kill them, they become martyrs. They become heroes. They get extolled by Abbas and by others. They become. Uh, they get squares named for them. They become role models to to, other, to the next generation. Yeah, but if you don't first. kill, if you don't kill them, they end up in a, ter- in, a, in, a, in a in a in a prisoner release at some point in the future. One, one second. But the the people don't understand that the uh, destruction of a house, which doesn't hurt anybody, it doesn't. It it takes toll 
on the family is a deterrent. It does of have course. a strong impact culturally more than people in the West realize. And it seems to me that this, of all the punishments possible, is one that they ought to say, this is humane, this doesn't, uh, it, it, it uh, sends a message, and it's a message that's visible to others that were contemplating it, that your family will pay the price. And in that society, that matters. What about funds to the PA? Is there ever going to be American cooperation to finally freeze funds to to uh, to uh, encourage lawsuits against the PA because of these activities? Well, you may know that the U.S. Uh, court, the Southern District Court, uh, ruled this week that the uh, eleven American, the families of eleven Americans who were killed in terrorist attacks, can go ahead with their lawsuit against the Palestinian Authority and the PLO. It's a billion-dollar lawsuit. And it's been in place since, I think, 2004, and they finally ruled, and they will go to trial in a very short while. This is a, a major breakthrough again, uh, so it does exactly that to, to, to encourage, and there are more and more lawsuits being brought. The, um, and as you know, there's a lawsuit against the Arab Bank and, and others, so it's those directly involved, those who support them, those who help provide the funding, uh, all have to be held uh, to account, and there are measures being proposed, being contemplated by members of Congress right now that would deduct funds or, or from the Palestinian Authority, from the money the United States gives. Right, but you need White House cooperation with that, right? And we know that any administration well, probably Congress wouldn't. Can do a lot in this regard when it comes to allocation of funds. Now, does it mean that the White House can't can't bypass it or come overcome it? Yes, but remember, with the in January you have. Uh, what could be a veto-proof majority, especially on these kind of, this issue, that uh, there is a growing um, anger about the role of Abbas. And by the way, it's not just limited to the Congress. It's true in the, amongst many of the Palestinians themselves. And uh, so that, that threat may be much more credible one in uh, two months. Uh, and by the way, it, it may be this will wake everybody up to the fact that um, the enemy doesn't care where the Jews are. They don't want Jews in Israel. I won't even argue yet for a moment if they want Jews anywhere, but certainly not anywhere in Israel. You know, someone tongue in cheek, obviously, but the point is well taken. Uh, wrote to me that you know that there are certain people, certain leaders, encouraging people not to go to the Temple Mount. We've discussed this a million times. I'm speaking strictly politically. I'm not speaking halakhically. So they said to me, tongue in cheek, you know, maybe we should discourage people from going to shul now. You know, this also incites terror. Obviously, the Arabs don't like the fact that you gather in a shul in northwest Jerusalem for morning prayers. At, at some point, we all have to realize they don't want us anywhere. And by the way. I saw a newsletter that came out this week, a notice from the Chovvei Shul in Yerushalayim, which you know very well, reminding everybody that they have panic buttons inside their two sanctuaries. Malcolm, I know that there's different systems in place, and you've uh, you know spoken about it many times, and I hope they're effective. But I think every synagogue in the U.S. and everywhere has to consider that type of installation of a panic button or something where they have immediate contact with the authorities in case a madman walks in. We have... Push this. We have created uh, an, an, an agency scan to help synagogues do prepare. We train people for what happens if a gunman comes in. We we, we are training uh, schools so that teachers can be you know equipped and, and know how to respond on the spot. There are things. I mean, you can't prevent every attack. You can't guarantee that the you know, there isn't going to be another lone gunman somewhere, as they call it, or, or uh, a 
agent who, who will try to penetrate a synagogue, an institution, a school. But you can take prophylactic measures, and it's re- you are right, it's critical. You saw that, that uh, there was a rub who told their people to come with guns to shul or to bring their telephones to shul. Yep. Uh, other measures, which we may not do, but uh, but we can do things that, that enable us to have a relationship with the local police so then you know who to call, when to call um, someone, if, God forbid, there, there is an incident. Most people will just panic, and that's right. not the response. You have to, to be trained so that you know at a time when your brain may not be functioning fully, how to respond to an incident. Man, and yeah, stay alert during Shona Esrei, I guess. And, and and don't think that just because it happened in Yerushalayim or it happened in Israel, that every Jew and anything noticeably Jewish in the world is a target. I mean, we know this. We know this from episodes that have happened here in the United States. We know this from, obviously, things that are going on in Europe. It seems after every Shabbos we hear about another incident that's occurred in some major city in Europe against either a, a, a Jew on the street or against a synagogue. It just—it's uh, everywhere, and we and have it to hardly get—you don't even see the reports anymore on a lot of the incidents. It's already become, you know, accepted that this happens, and uh, we're seeing it on our campuses, and we see it other places uh, in the United States, let alone what we see in Europe. And the the attacks in Yerushalayim are, are taking place because they know that's the most sensitive place for all of us, and that they can call—they get more attention than when they carry out an attack in other areas. It doesn't mean that things haven't happened in other areas. Uh, we should also remind people that these are taking place in very limited areas, that life in Israel goes on, that people shouldn't stay away from Israel because of it. It's quite the opposite. People should go. It is still safe. It is still uh, a place where tourists and, and others should visit and, and see the country, that, that it's not a, a siege place. You don't, uh, as I said, I came back yesterday, it's not a place where you see police everywhere in isolated areas, and especially areas where we've had the unrest. You do see an increased presence, but Israel itself is still safe yeah. for people. To oh, see. I agree with you. Israel is safe. My question is, and it's certainly Israel is safer than than other places in the world, including maybe even the U.S. in some ways. My question is, what about here? Are we taking proper precautions and thinking about every noticeably Jewish place here in this country at this point? Because the, uh, we, we said this when the Canadian attack happened. The, it's now in everybody's backyard. It's on our doorstep everywhere. It's unavoidable at this point. Maybe people will realize that you know not traveling to Israel ain't going to solve the problem. That, that's uh, absolutely right. And... Um you know, there's, there is still more security in Israel uh, than you have normally in the streets of uh, any major city in the United States. And if you look at the numbers, the crime rates and things are lower there than in um, in most other places. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web. JMTheAM.org. Malcolm Honline is with us. Weekly update here at JM in the AM. By the way, the um, um, the, the we, we should mention because I don't want to lose sight of it uh, as we discuss everything that's going on because of this uh, terrible episode in Yerushalayim. I believe yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Jonathan Pollard in prison. Does that make sense? November 21st was is oh, 30 years today. So today. Right. Is the thirtieth uh, is thirty years? Uh, it's just unbelievable to to think of of this in, in miscarriage of justice. 
we have uh, tried again, and we're hoping that this year when he's eligible for parole and he will get a hearing, uh, God willing, during the year, um, that they will come to their senses and that uh, hopefully even before that that the president will act on this. And yeah, no question keep the pressure on. If I can say something, just if I thought, thought of about the tourists. You know, there was an interesting thing that came out this week in the midst of all of this horror that the number of visitors from Muslim countries is shooting up. 125,000 have come from Indonesia, uh, 73 people from Qatar, um, 5,000, um, uh, 13,000 from Egypt over the last few years, 5,000 uh, this year, 23,000 from Malaysia, uh, and isolated other numbers from uh, different countries. And Kuwait announced this year that they would allow people this week, I mean, they would allow people to visit Israel and the PA in some sort of an organized, uh, organized package. So they're not afraid, and they come. I think it should be a message, to, especially now that people go. Uh, you know, we're facing an enemy that has become much more clever. You saw the latest weapon is that they shoot firecrackers. Right. So people's image is that, you know, they're shooting off firecrackers and they explode and they make noise, but that's not what they're doing. They reverse the firecrackers so that the uh, lit end shoots against the soldiers or police, and they can do a lot of damage, have done damage, they burn people, they, they think, and now they caught this massive shipment with 18,000 firecrackers, uh, 5,500 lasers, I've got the, uh, almost 5,000 uh, tasers and other uh, equipment shipped under the guise of being uh, Christmas decorations, and the uh, and and it, it, it shows what their intent is to do, to carry this out more, and to do things in a way that makes it hard for the Western eyes to look at this and say, well, they're only shooting firecrackers against rubber bullets or against bullets. And that there's always this imbalance. In, in, in it. It's not true. These are deadly weapons and that they are clearly organized that you don't get a shipment of two vast containers coming in this way if it isn't an organized act. As long as they keep getting away with it. Strange week to lift all restrictions on the Temple Mount for Friday prayer, no? Again, it's, I think it's a response to the pressure, the things the, the Europeans and others have put on uh, Israel about um, the, and, and, the, and the exploitation by uh, Abbas and others to say that this is changing the status quo. I think it's part of the promise they made to the King of Jordan when the Prime Minister went there and uh, and met with him, together with Kerry. About, and as you know, as part of the agreement that uh, Diane made, they put Jordan in charge of the WACF, of the trust that yeah. controls it. And this relationship, obviously, is very important. You know that in the Jordanian parliament, they, uh, they said a prayer in honor of the two killers at the synagogue. And the... Um, so this is, for, for the Prime Minister, obviously very sensitive in the relationship with Jordan and with the sanctions and with the, the threat of, of actions against them. So Did they hand out candy and sweets as well, like they did in so many other areas? They didn't do that there, but they certainly did in, in uh, the families and the cities where these guys, the village where these guys came from. By the way, maybe this passed me by. Someone said that a, one of the terror organizations actually took responsibility for the attack. The PFLP actually took responsibility for the attack. Uh, they are. They claimed that these guys had an affiliation uh, with them. 
But, you know, you never know what's true in this if people do Yeah, it. I would think it's to the enemy's benefit not to identify any group at this point and make everyone in Israel feel that, you know, this could happen randomly without anybody's sanction, which basically it's happening anyway. But there's something more fundamental about this, Nahum, that to me, you know, my reaction, I, I'm almost numb by all of this, that the standard today of beheadings and of physical attacks of this nature, yeah. of a person actually able to take a meat cleaver to somebody else's throat or body or uh, or a knife as the ISIS people did and it's now become the standard in Yemen in Lebanon in Iraq in Syria in uh, in other parts where you have these rebel forces um, and let alone of course ISIS doing it every day and Iran executing people every day uh, often by behead, beheading and hanging but the 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 whole standard and the level of barbarism that we have sunk to, and that uh, that there isn't a revulsion and a, and a repulsion to to this kind of uh, of barbarism. I don't even know another word to talk about the the uh, humanity that this represents, and it becomes the leading recruitment tool that ISIS can get a thousand new recruits a month, and this is the major their major advertisement. It's unbelievable. We'll have to think about this. Back in the Middle Ages. Yes, exactly. Unbelievable. Uh, was there a uh, was there a possibility for Israel to take out Nasrallah this week, and they passed on it? I don't know. I mean, I saw the reports too, but I, I don't know. All Israeli leaders at this point are legitimate targets, according to the enemy. I guess it's been like that really for the last many many decades. But I would guess that security around any high profile or even lower profile Israeli member of Knesset, cabinet member, etc. And obviously, I'm referring to the Lieberman threats. I assume that all those are stepped up at this point. But Lehman's threat was was uh, specific about using an RPG, and uh, it was uncovered. It was there was no actual attack, but uh, it it and I, there was also a threat against Eli um, Shai and some others that uh, got them additional uh, security over the last week. But obviously, everyone is a target. And when people will ask, well, how can they go and attack Nasrallah? Nasrallah is a war criminal. Of course, well, Nasrallah <laughs> is not some innocent leader, you know, of a of a ragtag group. This guy is has organized the murder and killings, and he is a legitimate target. Spain recognizing a Palestinian state. Does Israel respond in a diplomatic way? Are they, I don't know, taking back ambassadors or doing anything that uh, shows their displeasure with what they've done? Uh, Israel is not going to. I think we call the ambassador, except for some sort of a gesture. But uh, first of all, this, these are not binding resolutions. They are symbolically right. very significant. But the, the condition of what the government said is that this only can go in effect after negotiations, after right. a process of negotiations and which leads to it, then they will recognize. That was, by the way, the same language that the French government used and others who were adopting these resolutions uh, and they're saying that it's not punitive, and if you look at the nature of the resolution, it's not quite the way it gets reported, because it doesn't it mandate an action right now, and it doesn't have real consequences, except that it's a reward at a time when, when Abbas doesn't uh, uh, negotiate, uh, continues the incitement, which is why I cited it before, because the message is clear that there's no price to pay. So why should he ever really come to the table? Why should he ever take the steps that uh, one would demand of any other leader 
when he gets rewarded constantly with the additional recognition, and his goal is not to negotiate but to impose a settlement and to have the United Nations, to have the international community continue to isolate Israel and the threats, which proved not to be true about the, that sanctions were being prepared. Haaretz uh, reported it does not seem to be true that the Europeans were, but the Europeans keep telling them that about the construction, and if you go ahead with this and if you go ahead with that, uh, and too often just one-sided declarations. Uh, we're not going to speak next week. Uh, there'll be no weekly update next week, but this Monday is November 24th. That date is significant, Malcolm. 24th is the deadline, right? November 24th is very significant. Uh, how significant it will be, we'll only find out. Secretary Kerry went to Geneva uh, we met yesterday in Washington with the, the leading experts in this area. The general consensus, I would say, is that there will be an extension, maybe two months, maybe four months. Uh, you know, the president had promised that there, in one year that they would resolve this issue. And if, if they can't in one year negotiate, what's the point of an extension? When you see the lack of cooperation, the lack of transparency, the fact that the IEA does not have access to the military facilities, let alone the missiles and the weaponization, all that, which was not covered by the uh, agreement, and the fact that the president sent a letter, which as a tactic is, is a mistake, because the more the Iranians see how much they want to deal, the more they're going to uh, demand, and the less cooperative they're going to be, because they feel that the other side is so hungry for it, meaning the U.S. and others, that they will, uh, they will try to extract the maximum for them and the minimum that they have to give. And if you don't have dismantling, if you don't have uh, take advantage now of the drop in oil prices, Iran invaded their sovereign fund with by $62 billion. Uh, there are even elements of the Iran Revolutionary Guard that have spoken about the need for a deal because of the economic uh, conditions. But the, the West reaction... Only it emphasizes uh, that the Khamenei's hard line is right. Uh, so we're going to have to see what happens in Vienna. Um, there are three options. One is that we get an extension. Two is that we get a deal that is terrible. And what we've heard about the details that have come out is not a good deal. It's a bad deal. And third is that we get some other deal that we don't know about that they that has been rumored also that they've had a framework already in place, and they just have to fill in the details. Congress, obviously, is very upset. They're looking to extend sanctions. It may have to wait until uh, January, until the new Congress is in place, when we when they can have the majority that's necessary, and they also need a veto-proof majority for, for some of the measures. Um, the administration has a lot of leeway. They don't have to go to Congress for approval, because if you notice, they're not signing it as an agreement. This is just an understanding between parties, so you don't need uh, congressional approval uh, for it. So this is a very eventful day in uh, November 24th. I mean, we may know today uh, much more, in fact, um, because of the talks that are ongoing in Vienna and whether they will start softening the ground for an extension. And the question is then, what, what kind of sanctions, what price does Iran pay for, for not coming to an agreement? What do we do to, to shore up the Europeans and make sure that they're going to be uh, in line on, on this? And, and uh, you know, the constant meetings with Zarif and the constant uh, discussions doesn't reflect the reality that Iran continues its aggressive actions throughout the region. We saw it in Yemen. As we
we discussed many times. We saw it today. We see it in, in Syria. We see it all throughout the region. They're working against America's interests, against Western interests. They're violation of human rights. They're barbarics. Their support for many of the barbaric groups that we talked about before, and uh, you know that they could declare that for the first time the Shiites control four Arab capitals: Lebanon, Yemen. Syria and Iraq. For them, they see this all as a massive historic victory that places them in a stronger and stronger position. Reassure me, we we have had more tenuous times in history, right? Much more tenuous times, and and you know, I was talking to people who, who were talking about what Israel was like in 1948, in 1958, 1960, as compared to where we are today, and that the. You know, it, it, there is a confluence of factors, but it's not just directed at Jews. Look how many more Christians are being massacred throughout the year. How many Muslims? 200,000 people plus in Syria, their own people, and there's no there's no reaction or minimal reaction uh, to it. Yeah, so there is sure. a it, it is a general uh, collapse of the system, and it, it will take many years to repair it. And part of the problem is that there's an absence of American leadership and. The role of America in, in the region has changed, and you have all of these other forces at play, and you have Russia now playing, I think, a very counterproductive role in much of this, and uh, in, including undermining uh, the sanctions regime, China certainly, and the inability to, to rein them in. They, they, they all voted for the resolutions initially at the, um, at the Security Council. And then on top of that, of course, you have Israel being thrown into the... The threat of a new election, so that also. Oh, I would think that. Well, maybe not. Compared to a week ago, that probably that effort probably has stalled to drop. Or you wouldn't agree with that? It, 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 yes, but it, the point is that once you drop, you know the the possibility. Once, yeah, once you, once yes. you get everybody <laughs> in this mode, and everybody was talking about it. Uh. Every meeting I had, you know, came back to this thing. Oh well, if elections, if elections. <laughs> And, and it was never intended that elections would be right away. The question is, it would be six months, a year, until you get it past the, the uh, Knesset, until you get everything in place, and then you need three months' notice, and, you, you know, you can't do it before Pesach. This was <laughs> the on summer. To me. <laughs> the you know, and then you say, well, the divorce comes in uh, yeah, 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 yeah. summer. And the, but so, it's not a time when Israel should, should have elections. It's a time when no. there has to be more unity, and they have to... Stand together to have that's the great that's the greatest proof that elections are coming because it's the best time that Israel should be having elections. <laughs> Two quick things before we give you a week off: in a landslide victory, UCLA's resolution passed eight to two among their senators, calling on the University of California to quote withdraw investments in securities, endowments, mutual funds, and other monetary instruments with holdings. End quote. In eleven U.S.-based companies linked to the Israeli occupation. Your reaction? This is. What we have warned about for how many years on the show about the BDS movement and that while it was much stronger in Europe, we saw the increasing evidence of it here. Again, it's not a resolution that has any teeth or that can, has any implementation, but it changes the climate. The more we accept it, the more the idea that Israel alone gets targeted. I don't know if people saw this uh, supposedly funny but not funny clip that a short film that was made showing uh, Ami Harwitz at, uh, at a California campus, and he waves the ISIS flag, and he's supporting ISIS, and everybody walks by, a few people acknowledge him, etc. And he has an Israeli flag, 
and they're all condemning him and cursing him and oh cursing my Israel gosh. as they walk, walk by. Oh. And we see it, but we see it on campuses across the country, which is why we need to inoculate our kids. We've got to educate them younger and younger to explain to them exactly what we are, what we are up against. What the nature of the uh, you know the condemnations uh, that continue to come of Israel for what for protecting its citizens for being a democracy for standing against the, these uh, enemies you know you see how Egypt has now cleared a buffer of a kilometer knocking down all the houses because they found tunnels that are 800 to 1,000 meters, much longer than they expected. And they said this jeopardizes our security. Yeah. We, we see other countries now waking up and taking uh, uh, steps to, to do it. Israel's, by, by comparison, is, uh, is far more, for, far, far more li- limited. When the ISIS people steal the aid that's coming in to Syria that's supposed to go to feed families, and they, they steal the money, and, the, uh, and we begin to fund our own enemies... When, when there isn't this kind of recognition and we look to Iran as a potential partner, it's all of these come together to, to, to pose a challenge. But the, the, the answer to the challenge is that we've got to stand together. We've got to have actors in our community, unity in our community, and unity in reaching out to others to, to get them to understand what we're what we're up against finally um and you and i are not always uh at the greatest comfort level discussing uh other uh, media outlets but if people are in fact outraged as many have indicated they are with what cnn and maybe others did in reaction to the um massacre in uh, yerushalayim then uh, they should act on it and you encourage them to go ahead and make those calls write those emails etc etc I only encourage, you've got to demand that people do it. I tell people, call me to complain. I say, why are you calling me? Call CNN. Right. When they say six dead, then they'd say, oh, it's not six dead. Four Israelis, two Palestinians killed. First they said at a mosque, then they said at a synagogue. When NPR has descriptions of, of the activities as if Israel somehow, you know, uh, inspired and arranged for this, this, these massacres, that the, the level of coverage and the description of uh, of what occurred, and here you had it such a blatant act. There was a lot of sympathetic media, I should acknowledge, and and uh, at least initially, but right away, then it goes back to the even-handed that, that both sides have, and both sides did this, and both sides did that, and and you made reference to to it coming from governments and, and our own government, and in fact, and it comes from many other sources. You can't have this moral equivalence anymore. This is gives a license to people to kill. Yeah. Future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel. We'll speak in two weeks. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.